I remember really clearly sitting in my Paddington home uh, working on my uh, Apple computer which always failed and the discs that you used to shove in the front window getting jammed writing an application to be a speaker at the World Conference on Corporate Consciousness in Mexico. I uh, sent the letter, I would, I would suggest it was even in a time by post and received a reply which was to say, well, thanks for writing to us you know the program that you have in front of you about that conference reveals that all the speakers are booked and I'm not sure why you'd be writing to us asking to speak at this conference when you can see a sheet from which you're writing that the conference is already booked. But that was my naivety about speaking at conferences at the time. But they did put a little byline at the end and that is that you are welcome to come free of charge to Mexico as an emergency speaker. Uh, You just don't have to pay the conference fee but you have to pay your own accommodation and flights. And bingo, I was there. So I turn up um, in a a really strange place. Uh, Not overly familiar with Mexico, I turn up fly into the airport, get picked up by the limo, go to the Four Seasons and there I am in kind of like America slash Mexico and there were, I think, I can't remember exactly but please forgive me, I think there were two and a half, three thousand delegates at this conference. Um, Some of the speakers were internationally, international celebrities in including Deepak Chopra and a few politicians and uh, some of the entertainment were, were by people who were again quite famous and so I was a little bit at this time a duck uh, out, of, out of the water and anyway I'm sitting at breakfast in the morning of the second day I had a sort of presentation prepared because I was the emergency speaker but never rehearsed it, really didn't think I was ever going to present it and bingo, uh, I'm sitting next to Deepak Chopra, we're having a laugh, we're talking about yoga because I owned yoga schools, we had a few people we knew in common and of course I'd been down to his um, California um, uh, centre uh, a couple of times and he'd I think at this time even read my book. And we're sitting there having a laugh about things and enjoying uh, chat and an announcement comes over the, the beautiful uh, area that where we were all seated outdoors and blah, 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 uh, would Chris Walker please come to reception? I think, oh gosh, did I party too hard last night? Um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it turns out the person who was on first up in the morning to speak was had an emergency, had to fly away and I was on and completely, completely without any prep I was on the stage within half an hour. Now the good thing about that is it didn't give me six months to get nervous about it which I normally would and the great thing about it 
was that people forget, you know, understood that I was doing a really good job to fill a, an empty void in a very expensive uh, conference. But uh, it worked. I did a great gig, and um, because I didn't have the pressure of having to be perfect, I spoke from my heart and just let it all be. And from that speech, we had a, what they call breakout sessions, so people could volunteer. Um, to come to three or four speak, they have three or four speakers in a block, and then in the afternoon they had break what they call breakout sessions where you choose which speaker you wanted to hear more from. And my room was packed to the rafters, packed. Anyway, at the end of this, I got a lot of offers to 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 do more speaking events around the world from all the people who were there. But the most impressive one that I loved was from a group of four, five women who were from Halifax in Canada and they invited me to come up and talk and they said they, because they had a company up there that uh, was called People Development out of Halifax and they said we, we would love you to come and, and talk and I did a presentation. At that presentation some a few things interesting happened. The first one was I was talking about letting go, the concept of release, which originally in my work of the universal laws, the concept of letting go would, would, would have stood number one because I, and I still do believe it is the first and most important skill of life, learning to let go, knowing how to release something with love and gratitude for it and not have the letting go process screw up the rest of the day or the week or the year ahead how to let go and I spoke a lot about it but one of the things examples I used about letting go was my own mother who passed away and I had learned to let go and it was all good and uh, a Native American woman in this room of I think 150 or so people uh, protested quite profusely and verbally that um, you know that I had crossed a line that she was grieving the death of her mother and how dare I how dare I how dare I suggest that that uh, that grief is an illusion so I said well if you're brave enough to speak you're brave enough to let me try to help uh, which she was and so with her standing there I asked two people either side of her to become scribes and I said to this woman, please tell me what's lost. Tell me everything that you've lost since your mother passed away. And it turned out that she lost you know, a friend. She lost companionship. She'd lost uh, reassurance. She'd lost confidence. She'd lost um, uh, someone to talk to about her problems. She'd lost someone who hugged her. She lost uh, all the tactile elements of having a mum she wanted nearby but also the emotional and and what would be called for most people spiritual which I call intellectual connection she had with her mum so we'd written all these things down and I simply said in the very second the instant she took her last breath who replaced and I went down all the list who replaced the affection and she said oh nobody and I go come on who and she goes, well, okay, my friends have become more, more affectionate, okay? So that's been replaced. Uh, who replaced the intellectual? Who would, The priest. Who replaced the uh, caring? My brother. Who replaced this? Who replaced that? 
and I went down the whole thing and I didn't try and solve the whole challenge all at once and we were time constrained because it was in the evening and everyone needed to go home but I didn't honour the time constraint I just let her and I just let her go through and we went through every single one of the things she thought she was missing one by one by one at some point we checked off the whole list and she was standing there looking at me and I said is there anything missing and she said no and I said who's standing behind you right now and it wasn't just her in the room experiencing the embodiment of her love for her mother it wasn't just her experiencing the embodiment of the love for her mother because her mind, her ego had released the grief and the concept that something was missing had released her mind and her feelings had immersed into her body and now her body was talking and feeling and connecting everybody Everybody in that room felt the presence of her mother. Now, you might say to me, Chris, this is all higgly-piggly, mumbo-jumbo, jimbo-jumbo. And I agree with you. It is absolutely higgly-piggly, mumbo-jimbo-jumbo. But when you're in the room and you feel it, it's not your head that's arguing it's mumbo-jumbo that feels it. It's your body. And you feel it in your core. And you feel it in your presence like you are right now. And you know you're communicating. And I said to her, what, is, what do you want to say to your mother? And she said, I love you, Mom. And I said, what is your mother going to say to you? And she spoke the words of a deceased person. And everybody in the room felt the words. It was a really profound experience. Brave on her part. Courageous on mine, because I could have really come unstuck in a new world doing a new process so my embodiment my belief in the work needed to be beyond my own head because my head couldn't carry a story this far from that room came five years work for my business now I did not intend that to happen but I I'm not talking about full-time work. I went back to Australia and came back to Canada, came, went home, came back. And in the process of that room, going through that initiation of fire with that Native American person, First Native, First Nation person, I was introduced to government officials of Canada, some people who were working on youth development, the... Um, public works, the RCMP police, communities throughout Canada and I worked diligently just on this one piece of work 
to help people let go, to help people understand things the way they are. It's not easy because when I do this work, I often get protesters. People hear about something that I'm doing and they protest it because it defies their religious teachings. Or, as it was in the case of a community uh, in in a in a, uh, a reservation in Canada, it defies their traditional expectation. Now, it never defies traditional beliefs because that's where it comes from. What it defies is their expectation of how people are going to react to their traditional stuff. As I said to one group of people in a community during a fairly heated town hall presentation I did, I said, you've got tomahawks and headdress and drums stuck on the wall and yet you've forgotten why. You've forgotten the roots of your own work. It's really important, I think, to understand that this, these initiations of fire that we go through, these visits to Mexico, these presentations in Halifax and these work in community where people dispute you and disagree with you and don't understand you, it's going to test whether you're up in your head thinking or down in your being owning it because people are going to be able to argue with your head people can talk you out of and into anything if you're in your head but they cannot move you from a vision from a knowing a belief a, an awareness that's in your body post-traumatic stress is an awareness in a body that's negative that reminds a person of something they don't want to repeat. Post-traumatic enjoyment is knowing something in your body that you do want to repeat. A gift you want to give, a knowing, awareness. So as I travelled for the next five, ten years actually through the entirety of Canada presenting workshops and running retreats and doing all sorts of things, meeting some just astonishing people through this process. It all came through gateways of trial by fire. And while I was in them, I can honestly say I wished I wasn't. <laughs> there was none of this going to Mexico and speaking that was fun. There was none of this standing up in front of an audience in Halifax being pushed down that was fun. There was none of standing up in front of Price Waterhouse where people refused to listen anymore because I talked about balance. There was none of this that was fun. But it wasn't fun that I was there for. I was there because in my body and in my bones I know the universal laws and I want to share them. And by going through rejection and going through hard times and going through difficulties and going through places where I was tested and staying on track, staying committed to the process, I came out the other side enabled or allowed, as I call it, allowed 
to talk more about what I had talked about before, able to do more of what I did before. And I think that's the moral of this story, is that sometimes you'll find yourself dealing with what looks like an insurmountable difficulty and the way to deal with it is through it, not around it. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.